GBC Podcasts, local voices on demand. Hello, thanks for listening to the Gibraltar Today podcast. I'm Jonathan Scott. We're covering the aid effort for the Morocco earthquake. Lois Soisa of the Gibraltar Red Cross is here to tell us about the almost £150,000 that they've raised and how it'll be spent. We also hear from two young entrepreneurs using 3D scanning to create lifelike digital replicas. James Barton and Jared Vassalo ooze confidence. And if you went to the now-demolished old Bayside School, what are your standout memories? Douglas got in touch to say that he remembers when he and many of his school friends rebelled in order to go and see Go West at Eastern Beach. That was in the 80s when Julio Alcantara was the director of education. They never got permission to go to attend the Christmas special recording, but he says almost all of the students went anyway. And then in the afternoon to watch the pretenders at the piazza. A very happy memory there. We'll discuss that more with Kevin Ruiz in just a moment. But first, the Citizens Advice Bureau is celebrating 20 years of helping people. Our reporter Jonathan Sacramento has the story. When you need legal advice and you can't afford a lawyer uh, uh, for, for things like, you know, small, uh, small claims. Uh, have you had an encounter with a business where you're uh, less than satisfied with the service? Yeah. Cab can help you. And uh, mediation is another big, big service that Cab provides. Uh, it's, uh, it's a professional trained environment where uh, they can listen to two sides of an argument and mediate between them so many, many more things that they provide. In fact, the, uh, uh, Billy Rodriguez, the head of cab, was telling me that when a client walks in the door, they never know what that client is going to ask. And it's, it's, uh, there's a moment there where they try to uh, um, sort of like uh, assimilate the information as quickly as they can so that they can pass them on to the right channel. Uh, because it's not, cab is a small team of professionals, but they have members of the community that they've harnessed who can provide specialist services, and they will send you to the right person. They can also ease you through the, the passages of, 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 the, uh, of government bureaucracy and, and send you to the right place, make sure that you know how to fill in a form, make sure you know how to fill in a CV if you're applying for a job. Uh, you name it, they've probably done it. So it's a general helping hand, um, and, and they've been doing that for 20 years in Gibraltar, and, and they'll have helped countless people. And today they've been celebrating their work and, and their function. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell us a little bit about today's event. Well, it's, uh, it was opened by the Chief Minister, uh, Fabian Picardo, and, uh, and uh, subsequent uh, addresses by the Bureau's Chair, Ivan Navas, uh, we've also heard from Claire Driffield, who is uh, a special guest, and she is the head of CAB in the UK. So it's a massive organization that she represents. 
Since Advice is a human-centred service. Everybody who provides the service or goes to Since Advice is there because they need help. But what is also very important is that we can quantify what that help means. So for Sins of Ice England and Wales, we've done some work that looks at actually what is the value of return. So for every one pound that the UK government invests in our service, we are saving them two pounds in preventative services. Similarly, for every one pound that they're investing in our service, we're putting nearly eight pounds back into the pockets of people who come to us through writing off debt, resolving their consumer issues, but also helping them maximise their income through the benefits they should be claiming. So Citizens Advice Bureau, they're making the case uh, that they are value for money. Mm, yeah, not just value for money, but they actually uh, they actually save the government money in the long run. Uh, and, uh, I mean, it's a, it was a, a fascinating talk. I mean, you've heard two examples there, but sure. she, she had a, a very forensic analysis and, uh, and breakdown of how cab can save the government money in so many areas. And, of course, this is it's not just about... Uh, it's not just about uh, making the case for how important CAB is in our community, but it's also uh, uh, an exercise in uh, in accountability to to ensure that that this uh, organisation actually delivers uh, value for money. And uh, so, so it's government funded in Gibraltar as well. They yes. get their funding from it's the taxpayer. That's right. Yes, it's government funding. They get a subvention from the government every year, but they're also a charity. And uh, and this is important because uh, it's it's not look they they don't uh, they don't fundraise as a charity but they're registered as a charity which essentially means that they have a little bit of flexibility uh, to be able to deal with their clients in a way that perhaps a uh, government department may not so they they have uh, that sort of like independent status uh, uh, as an agency. Uh, and uh, and as as a charity, which which uh, government departments just uh, they, they, government departments have to stick to a certain protocol. Uh, these guys don't, so they can help you in ways which which government departments may may not be able to. And with uh, the advent of mobile phone technology mm. and and everybody having website and information generally becoming easier to to share. Mm-hmm. In celebrating that twentieth anniversary, did the Citizens Advice Bureau also look ahead and make the case for their relevance going forward? Absolutely. In fact, they are they are uh, an essential cog in the wheels of our society in the sense that they help people with digital skills as well, uh, and and uh, they help navigate the complications of modern digital money as well. So, for example, during Christmas, they always uh, bring out a campaign which refers to, uh, you know, be careful with credit card fraud, with online payments, with microtransactions on apps, etc. So, uh, so uh, they are uh, a, a useful sort of like awareness and information portal as well. Gibraltar Today with Jonathan Scott. Covering uh, an amazing sum raised by uh, Red Cross Gibraltar, £150,000. The chair designate, Tim Bristow, said that it's a significant contribution which is testament to Gibraltar's humanitarian DNA as well as its strong links with Morocco. Generous donations have been made by local businesses, uh, the Chellerum Foundation and also many individuals. That money now 
now, £149,730 will be channelled through the British Red Cross and also the Morocco Red Crescent, who spearheaded the charity's assistance with immediate aid uh, and are now working with the Moroccan Red Crescent and the Morocco authorities on the longer-term recovery programme because the devastation was such that this is going to require a long-term uh, aid effort. The Gibraltar Red Cross has also uh, financed the transportation costs of the physical aid organised for the earthquake appeal by Gibraltar's Moroccan Community Association. They worked with the Gibraltar Civil Contingencies Unit on that. And I'm joined in the studio by Lois Soysa, the Jib Red Cross Welfare Officer. Uh, lovely to have you, Lois, and um, uh, impressive to see that this is one of these organisations that... Uh, um, keeps on going sort of quietly in the background and then when they when you give us an update you know it, it's really impressive because you realize the extent of the work uh, and the fundraising that you've carried out oh thank you so much yeah thanks for inviting us to have a chat today jonathan um yeah our chair said the other day that that sort of money is the equivalent of every man woman and child donating five pounds per person um, so, yeah, we just wanted to share the news because, obviously, as a community, we, we need to be really proud of that. Um, and the money will go a long way to help those in need that are still struggling post-earthquake. Tell us a little bit about what the uh, situation is like in the mountains around Marrakesh in particular. The main problem was obviously getting aid to the people that needed it because a lot of the worst affected areas were in very remote locations. Um, so there was helicopters flown in with care packages being delivered in that way. Um, but we have been in touch with the Red Crescent organisation, which is obviously um, the equivalent of the work we do sure. on that side. Um, they have over 8,000 volunteers, 400 paid members of staff. So their network is extensive and we knew by sending them this money directly to them that it was going to reach the, the people who needed it the most. Yeah. Um, £150,000 then, so you, you've managed to raise that money through uh, businesses, individuals, rather than sort of like a big event, no? Yeah, we did go out and hit the streets of Gibraltar. Some people may have seen us shaking our tins up and down Main Street. Um, and that was one of the largest collections we made in one day. It was about eleven thousand pounds. Wow! Um, just, so just, just with, with just, wow. just with bucket, our bucket tins and yeah, yeah. So, just everybody's always so generous, and I think in Gibraltar, especially, we've got a large part of our community that are Moroccan that have family there. So I think it was close to everyone's hearts and resonated. Everyone it? came out and helped us. So yeah, thanks so much. Um, uh, yeah, and I mean, you, you, you've, you've obviously had other um, fundraising appeals in recent years um, unfortunately uh, you know earthquakes wars um, you, you, you did Turkey if yeah, I'm not mistaken yeah, Turkey Syria you, you, Libya Ukraine, Ukraine and overall yeah. you've raised about half a million pounds yeah nearly uh, half time. a million pounds so it's it's just staggering for, for a place that's so small and um, yeah people are just so generous which we massively appreciate so if somebody's listening to this, are they still in time to make a donation to the Morocco yes. earthquake appeal? Yeah, that's right. The appeal is open to the year's end. Um, so you can just jump on our website or on our Facebook page or get in touch with us directly at the office. 
Um, all the bank details are there. So yeah, it won't close until the 31st of December. So we're still collecting and hopefully we can we can push the total a bit a bit higher. Yeah, an already impressive total. Uh, and you. tell us um, what would that money, tell us a little bit more about what that money would be going towards. That money is going directly for shelter, for food, um, a lot of blankets, lighting. Um, you know, there's several villages that were just flattened to the ground. So obviously rebuilding efforts as well. Um, so it's money that's massively needed. And Red Cross as an international organisation must have um, a, a significant presence there and, and also must be looking at, what, the next 12, 24 months, 36 I months? I would imagine so, yeah, at the very least, to get things back to, to where they were. Uh, and, uh, you know, when when you look at the, the news nowadays, international news, it, it can be a little bit sort of worrying, a little bit, um, you know, depressing to see how many people are in uh, humanitarian crises uh, across the world. Uh, how how um, easy is it to sort of um, motivate yourself for the work that you do uh, when you see that, but at the same time you are sort of you know, uh, I mean, Morocco's a bit closer, so Morocco's a different example maybe, but uh, what I'm getting at is that we're, we're very fortunate in Gibraltar and sometimes those crises can feel that they're quite far away. That's so true, but I think that most of us will know of someone um, who's been affected directly or a family member or, you know, these things do feel like they're far away, but really it's a responsibility for all of us that are so blessed. We live in such a beautiful place that if we can afford to offer any help to those less fortunate than us, then that's something that we should prioritise. And it's uh, it, it must be uh, great to, to be able to tap into the international network that uh, the Red Cross has. Yeah, I think that's a great thing about our presence in Gibraltar. You know that when you're donating through us that it's going to a much larger network, um, you know, all all the T's across, all the all the checks are in place. Um, so you know that your money's going exactly to where it's needed the most. Um, if I may, uh, we notice in the in the statement uh, that uh, there's a chair designate of the Gib Red Cross, Tim Bristow. That's right. Expected to be confirmed tomorrow at the annual general That's meeting? That's right, yeah. So we're holding our annual general meeting tomorrow evening. Everybody's welcome. Anybody who's interested in our work locally, you can just show up on the night. Uh, we're in the convent ballroom from 630 and um, Tim will be giving a short speech and hopefully will be voted in officially by the Red Cross members tomorrow evening. And uh, it also made me a little bit sad because the last time I was talking about Red Cross, it was with Ed Davis. That's right. Yeah, we lost Eddie sadly this year. Um, obviously, a big pair of shoes to fill. Um, but Tim is a lovely man and, uh, you know, all his heart's in the right place. So we hope that we can continue all the good work that Eddie started. I'm sure. Um, and, um, well, his memory lives on and he did so much great work uh, over over he the did. years for he the Red did. Cross. Um, uh, looking at the AGM that you're holding tomorrow, 6pm uh, at the convent. Uh, it's not just for existing members. Anyone can sign no, up if they want to be a right. part of it. We'd love to open the invitation to everybody you need to bring your ID because obviously it's in the convent so there'll be checks by the guards at the front door but we'd love to welcome anybody who's interested to join us tomorrow evening we have some dabas and some nice chats there'll be some speeches um, the official dum will be sort of a 10-15 minute bit 
but it's just an opportunity to meet um, the rest of the people involved with the Red Cross and have a catch up about what we've been doing this year and what we're looking forward to next year. Sounds good. And before I let you go, uh, Lois, I know that also, uh, apart from the humanitarian crisis that uh, Red Cross Gibraltar is involved in, you, you do a lot of work locally. Um, and, uh, you know, you, you've got the mobility aids, which, which you continue That's to right. help people so with. Most of our work locally is uh, centred around our loan service. So anybody with any mobility issues whatsoever, be them temporary or more long term, you can get in touch with us any sort of equipment you may be in need of. If we've got it, you can borrow it. And if we haven't got it, we'll endeavour to to help you source that. Um, so, yeah, you can call us at the office. We're on 200 74452 and uh, we can help anyone with any of those needs. And you've recently taken receipts of a new vehicle which includes a wheelchair lifting facility, um, which when you say mobility needs, I mean, if somebody's in a wheelchair, then this would be uh, this would be great for them. Absolutely. Our friends at the Consumer Trust have funded our amazing new van, which uh, has been needed for quite a long time. I think the other one was in service for about 15 years. <laughs> so this is the state-of-the-art new... Yeah, exactly. State-of-the-art new van. Um, so, yeah, anyone who needs that, that sort of transportation assistance can get in touch with us as well. On Radio Gibraltar and on GBC Television, Gibraltar Today with Jonathan Scott. Two young entrepreneurs join us in the Radio Gibraltar studio uh, who are working on cutting-edge 3D scanning. Uh, It captures the physical essence of uh, an environment, uh, an office or or an object, and then it can replicate that to to create a a sort of lifelike replica in, of course, 3D. Uh, So good afternoon and and welcome to James Barton and Jared Vassalo. Uh, Great to have you here. Uh, you're young, but you've been involved in software and creative projects uh, for for a number of years now. Yeah, that's correct, Jonathan. So thank you for having us. And yeah, the journey to get to this point hasn't happened immediately. From a young age, both Jared and I have been extremely interested in digital technology. I remember the first business I started, you could say, was at the age of 14, where I started Gibraltar's first online directory website. But at that age, you're not really geared to start a proper business. You know, it was a fun little venture, but I was still in school. I had my GCSEs and A-levels to handle. So that ultimately fell it, apart. Invaluable experience, though, to give it a go, no? Absolutely. Because you hear yeah. from all business entrepreneurs that, that you have to try and try again. For sure, yeah. And I'm glad I got one of my first failures out the way because they say there's always a few before you succeed. So that was number one out of the way. But I mean, that's my story. And Jared's also been extremely into the whole digital area for maybe even longer than me. Yeah, so I've been... Um sitting down in juries for almost every single day, 8 to 14 hours every day, and making tons of films. Um, well, it first started I was in stills in the 3D world, and then it just travelled into animation, and now it's gone to the point where it's where James saw some value, and we, we decided to uh, to really put it put, put it through the gears. So, so you sort of come together for this venture, as it were? Yeah, yeah. Exactly, yeah. And, and tell us a little bit, I mean, in basic terms, what is 3D scanning? Um, how does it work? Who is it for? Yeah, so 3D scanning is the main product service we're offering at the moment. So how it all came about is that Jared's always been very into the 3D area, whereas I've been more into web design and that kind of stuff. And a few months ago, as I was starting this business and trying to understand what would be the best product for us to launch, Jared did a 3D scan of the office that we work in. 
And we looked at the scan and how good it came out. And we were like, this would be an invaluable service to offer to a number of different local businesses who want to exhibit their space online. So a good example is real estate or restaurants. And essentially what it is, is it allows a user online to visit a space without actually going there. So you can walk through, I'm sure most people have used Google Street View. It's exactly the same. So we'll get the 3D model using a 360 camera and you can walk through the space as if you were there in person, turn yourself around, look at the ceiling, the floor, anything you want. And it gives you a very interactive way to interact with spaces that pictures and videos currently don't offer. That's really interesting, and and uh, and then sort of you you offer that product to uh, the 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 other business, and mm-hmm. and they could use it to uh, give people uh, the, the sort of an exploration of of their space. Yeah, it exactly. Really allows this the space to really sell itself. You know, photos and videos mm. um, can only isolate certain areas. Well, well, if you treat it like the Google Street View, yeah. you can go into areas which you may not usually go to. It becomes immersive. No? Yeah, Very you immersive, can go into yeah. a bathtub. <laughs> <laughs> I like to use the um, the real estate example. Imagine you're buying a house at £700,000. You and you're from the UK, you want to move to Gibraltar. You want to examine every single corner of the house, but you don't necessarily want to fly over just yet. So what our service does, it allows a person abroad to literally travel through as if they're there in person. So it's much more immersive. It's very transparent. There's nothing hidden. So, I mean, if you're a dishonest player, this probably isn't the product for you. But, um, <laughs> I like that, I like that. But, yeah, that's how it works. We're, we're into transparency and honesty yeah, as well in the news. So. <laughs> Good man. Uh, this is so exciting. Uh, so, I mean, um, how, did you, how did you guys uh, take it from a conversation to, to sort of thinking we can make this uh, an actual business? Uh, mm. uh, if you don't mind, t- tell me how old you are, because I'm, I'm in awe yeah. of your sort of... <laughs> Oh, you know, of your go-get'em attitude. Yeah, so I'm 25. I'm 24. Exactly, and the idea, like I said, it came about, initiated from Jared's first scanning of our office. From there, we realised that we needed to find a way to get these scans online. And that is the main issue you face, because when you do a 3D scan or create a 3D model, the files are massive. And obviously, with the restrictions of 4G and the internet, you need to enable it to work online in an efficient format. Right, true. So we started researching different methods and we found a platform that allows you to actually create the models and upload them, yet still let them load quickly and make them very interactive. So we had a bit of a research stage. From there, we spoke to some local businesses and we asked them, what do you think about this? How much should we charge? All these different questions, because obviously we're still new to this whole business landscape. And after that, we created a pricing model. We started working with a couple of local players. We currently have one partner in a local real estate agent. And it's starting to take off. And I can I just know that once it becomes mainstream, everyone else is going to pick up on it because the value it delivers is incredible. Have you seen it used elsewhere by um, real estate companies in, I don't know, London? Yeah, so this kind of technology is commonplace in the UK, in New York, anywhere that's got high value property, you'll find this kind of technology in use. And Jib, of course, because of our small size, all property is pretty high value. So I was very surprised to find it's rarely or not at all used in Jib at the moment. And that's why we've come in so hard, so quick to bring this to the market. Jared, it must be really exciting to be uh, somebody, a young person in their 20s with a background in, um, uh, with digital skills, with a background yep. in, in this sort of thing. And, and to know that we are where we are in history, you know, there's so much happening. There's so much potential for people with there's technology skills. There's always new skills. technologies coming up, always, always. And this is one thing that we're trying to ground all the time. 
So, uh, for example, there's this new technique uh, called splattering. And obviously we, we wanted to you know, jump straight into it to really showcase it can turn anything you video into a 3D space, which is almost perfectly lifelike. So it takes a video and it makes a it 3D. video. Yes, but the problem is, is that it's, it kind of, it's not treated as a, you know, it's like, to, um, like a surface, it treats mm -hmm. it like fog. So it can't really be used in a professional environment. So we're trying to figure out ways all the time to try to somehow ground it into an, an area we can actually utilize this information. So, so you essentially then a computer scientist? Is that what? Well, is that, is that the right term? Now, or, it seems or like we're transferring into that. Yeah, but yeah. Um, no. But in reality, my base is filmmaking, uh, animated filmmaking. Just to add that's to what so interesting. Said. The um, we're not actually computer scientists. We're just finding the most efficient and valuable ways to utilize what these computer scientists have built already yeah. like for example what jared said about this um splattering technique that we started using this stuff is groundbreaking like this is not being used by many free it came out i think two months ago it's a brand new technique and this is what we're doing we're trying to find the newest technologies find the quickest way to make them effective and then find ways that we can use them in jib to deliver value to local businesses and from your conversations with real estate companies and others, do you think that there, there's going to be a, a synergy there that it's going to work? Absolutely, yes. So we have the 3D scanning product, like we mentioned. We're also coming up with new ways for developers to display off-plan property, so buildings that haven't been built yet, before they're even built on 3D online. So this will give local businesses more ways to market themselves. And exactly, there'll be a lot of synergy and a lot of interest, we are certain. It's a perfect blend between his web design and my free design, this new product that we're coming up with. And what about AI? What's AI. that going to do? There's always a place for AI. Yeah, always, AI a place, fits everywhere. always a place. Yeah. I mean, we use AI, for example, in terms of making some processes more efficient, like there's when you write a, uh, a project proposal, for example, previously you'd be using lots of manual checking, it could take you hundreds of hours, whereas now, you can distill the key points that you want, have AI to help you write the proposal in the most efficient way. So, I mean, AI is going to become more ever-present as time progresses. That's a certainty. I'm sure you're probably using it in GBC in some capacity. We, we haven't actually, but we've, we've covered it and, and, and we've talked about it. We know that uh, other newsrooms are beginning to sort of explore its usage. So it's, mm. it's there, it's on the horizon. No? But, um, but we're also aware of the, of, of the concerns around it. And, yeah. and mm. certainly when it comes to news, um, you, you, can't, you can't sort of build on what's already there. You're, you're trying to tell an original story. Mm. Uh, so, uh, you know, the, the aggregation of stuff that's already been written key is, yeah. is, is, yeah, it, mm. is not really what we're there for. But if, you're, if you need to recap a, a sort of a, a history, uh, you know, if you need to tell the background to a story, well, then clearly AI mm. might do it more quickly. Uh, and and, and you, what you need to be, I think, sort of aware of is that you need to be able to check it and you need to have the, the knowledge to make sure that you're not putting something out unfiltered yeah. because mm. there are limitations. Yeah, there was this case of these lawyers in New York who built their whole case using AI. What? And uh, yeah, it just turned out that all <laughs> of the case studies that the AI came up with weren't real. So the judge wasn't very happy when he, uh, okay, when he I can imagine. Case. Well, that's yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. I mean, I mean you, you need to know the stuff. Thankfully, you... uh, AI hasn't actually caught up fully with 3D. I mean, there's so many hurdles in 3D. You know, it starts with the sculpting, then you have to go to the UV mapping, then you go know, to the painting, then you have to go to the, the rendering. There's, there's so many hurdles. Yeah. But there have to be, has to be an AI for every single yeah. hurdle. So I'm, thankfully, I'm still in the clear. And Jonathan, can I just quickly <laughs> say how talented Jared is? Because everything he's mentioned is normally a single job, and he does everything. He does the animation, the creation of the characters, every single aspect he's learned himself to do. 
And that's something that you'd have a dedicated person doing on their own normally. So I think Jared just deserves a bit of credit. Maybe for I've that. just had too much coffee. <laughs> <laughs> Hence sitting at juries, you yeah, say. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> Other cafes are available, but it's a nice spot. It's a nice spot to work at. Uh, and uh, guys, before I let you go, you recently worked with the Ministry for Justice, Trade and Industry. What did you do and, and, and what was it like? Yeah. So, first of all, yeah, we're working with Nigel Featham. He's extremely keen to help out local startups in their journey. As anyone who gets into business will know, there's lots of hurdles that when you don't understand how to go through them, you don't know what to do. And when I saw that Nigel was so interested in helping out local businesses, I reached out to him and within a day, he invited us to his office. We had a meeting with him. He loved how our service looked. So he let us scan all of his offices for him. And from there, we've continued having a working relationship in the sense that he knows that we can be his conduit into different young people who are starting businesses. We have a very active Instagram page. So he's been asking us to help him out. And Feel free to give it a plug so people can look you up. Yeah, so the, the Instagram is barton.solutions. So it would be great for anyone to follow. And just to do a favour to Nigel as well, he's hosting next Monday a session in his offices where he wants any young people who are interested in financial startups, entrepreneurialism, who are talented, anything of the sort, anyone who's got an opinion that could benefit Gibraltar's business and future, to come along to his office at 4.30 on the 27th of November. And he's going to host an open discussion for anyone to come and discuss ideas. So I'll be along. Jared will be there. We think it's a great opportunity. Gibraltar Today with Jonathan Scott. We're going to talk to Kevin, who's been on Main Street, uh, dipping into this uh, Bayside School demolition, the old Bayside School, which is, of course, where you went to school and, and did your GCSEs and A-levels, Kevin. So um, it's got a lot of, prompted a lot of conversations, no? It has, eh? because, of course, every boy of a certain age, every man went to that school. The, door, the, the actual Bayside School, as we knew it, opened its doors on in September 1972. It celebrated its 50th anniversary um, in 2022, just last year. Um, that's three years after it's closed its doors, because, of course, the new comprehensive schools opened um, in September 2019, just before the pandemic. Claro. Claro, todo el mundo, good memories, ¿no? I think eh, la flor de nuestra vida, that young years, age, no? of course. Pasamos de ser from boys a ser hombre. Um, you make those friends who are still your friends, lifelong friends in if, a small if you're community. Lucky. Yeah, 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 you're lucky. Um, the, the people you practice sports with, the people you have your, your first laughs with, the people you first go out and socialize as a, as a late teenager. Um, um, going to Bayside, everything changed as well because it was like a boys-only school. We'd come from the mixed uh, middle schools, so it was a bit intimidating as well. Y yo no sé si te acuerdas tú también, pero everybody warned you. Ahora tiene que ser un poquito, tiene que un poquito cuidado que va a la escuela grande. ¿Te acuerdas? They told claro. us that, a la escuela grande. And ¿no? it was a bit intimidating, you know, when you go from middle school and, and, and uh, there are people there who are 15, 16. Yeah. When I entered school, I remember sort of the those who were of just about school leaving age. There were some real characters there. Claro. And, y, and, and, I, and I looked up to them sort of with, uh, you know... Un respeto. Un respeto. respeto. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We were 12 when we went in. You had the 18-year-olds as well. It's the age when you grow up, really, no? So the differences are, are stark, no? And I remember the first day, um, I think most of us did it, no? We arranged with our friends from our middle school to meet outside Bayside so we could all walk in together. Una piña, no? 
<laughs> what did people tell you then, Kevin? Uh, very fond memories. We're very lucky this morning on Main Street because as we were um, asking people for their memories of the school, we bumped into a number of school teachers and also former students, amongst them Miss Alcantara, who of course was in charge of organising the school when it opens its doors, the first intake and also recruiting the teachers. We hear him in a vox of we've prepared for you. That's the first intake of the boys' comprehensive, and, uh, and then the annex, which which is what the drama studio, and what is actually missing wasn't built. It was just the old building. I was very very lucky. Um, I was given, I was given the choice of teachers to start the. I could pick my people: um, Hector Lugaro, Mario Arroyo, uh, Joe Santos. Carol Bishop, yeah, they, they, they were a tremendous team. It was my life, and, and I worked with my husband every day there, so, and my friends, because my best friend is Maria Arroyo and uh, other colleagues. It used to, be a, used to be a lovely school, very friendly, a lot smaller than what it is now. I um, made very good friends. Uh, the school was in a bit of a state when I first uh, started there, but I'll see very, very fond memories. Very fond memories. Uh, good memories with lots of friends who are fortunately still friends of mine now to this day. So. I'm from the year that we inaugurated the Comprehensive as Comprehensive in 72. Memories, good, good memories. That's the sentiment that uh, I think a lot of our listeners and, and viewers will have if, if they went to Bayside or if their family members went to Bayside, that uh, those are exciting years and, and the, the building's gone, but those memories will live on. Yeah. Um, te iba a preguntar, what's, what's your, oh, your favourite memory of Bayside going back? Yo me acuerdo de ti, because that's one thing. Those of us who work in this profession and those of us who work in professions where we need to network across Gibraltar, going to Bayside, then I clave because it allows us to recognise over 1,000 men, que era la population of base at the time. So it's easy for networking. Yo me acuerdo de ti con tu minimales at the time. <laughs> Te acordará. <laughs> what, are your, what are your memories of Bayside? Yeah, p- positive ones, no? Like uh, teachers, great teachers. I used to love maths. Mm. <laughs> oh. uh, I used to love football. I fell in love with football when I was at Bayside. Mm-hmm. Spent a lot of my free time playing football. And and yeah, and, and as you said, uh, fortunate enough to make friends who stay with me today. And even though our lives have gone our separate ways, whenever we get together, it's, yeah. it's special. And those friendships were forged in in those walls in the bit well, one in the Bayside playground. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Bayside playground. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. Very happy memories. Y te acuerdas también as, as well how cold it was. Remember the porter cabins we had in the patio as the extra <laughs> classrooms, and come the winter, it got really cold in there. Eh? See, but for, for me, I don't know. Yeah. That doesn't stick out for me. You know, it's just like you, know, you, you get on with it. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. Times change, but a strong uh, sense of community. Hmm. And I remember we had um, Bernard Linares, the late Bernard Linares, as the headmaster for pretty much of my time at Bayside. And it's a word he always used, community, in his assemblies every day. And sometimes we count how many times you've said the word community within a day. It infected you. It infected me, I think, no? But I think he, he really built, um, he, he and the teachers there, no? They really built the sense of community yeah. at Bayside, no? Yeah. But hopefully that will live mm. with us for, for many years to come. On Radio Gibraltar and on GBC Television, Gibraltar Today with Jonathan Scott.
over to Portugal, where our sports reporter Jose Marit Ruiz has been at a press conference. What has the Netherlands coach Ronald Koeman had to say ahead of tonight's UEFA qualifier, which is live on GBC television. And uh, before I forget, it does mean that the GBC News Bulletin will run early at 8 o'clock. But uh, this is the latest from Jose. It's match day here in Faro and Gibraltar are all set to play the Netherlands in the last Euro qualifying match of this 2024 campaign. The latest from Netherlands head coach Ronald Koeman now. He told the press yesterday that he wants to see some new guys in action tonight. This can be seen as good and bad news for Gibraltar because he wants to give these players a chance to show him what they're made of. And of course, this means those players will be keen to prove a point and book themselves a ticket to Germany in June for the Euros. He also said there's little to gain from a match like this and that he's just using it as preparation. But he did say he wants to see intensity and many goals, not something Gibraltarian fans will want to hear. But on the bright side, he claimed not to be concerned with setting a new record. Thanks for listening to those highlights from Gibraltar Today. I'm Kelly M. Borge, the show's producer. We're live on Radio Gibraltar Monday to Friday from 1 to 2, getting behind the headlines. And you can catch up here whenever you like. Until next time, have a good one. GBC Podcasts. Local voices on demand.